You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is with Stina Twidell of Honeywood. Hailing from Scotland, they're a band that's been in constant state of metamorphosis since we've been introduced to them. They're now a solo project helmed by Stina, and on this episode, we chat about how that transition has been and how it informed Honeyblood's third album, In Plain Sight, out on May 24th. My biggest takeaway from this talk is how clear it is that making music is exactly what Stina is meant to be doing. Her passion for music is steadfast, and the ability to convey her feelings and thoughts through song is something she truly excels at. This talk was recorded at Brooklyn's Rough Trade, so apologies for the background noise, but we're sure you'll find this talk engaging. This is the 405 Exchange with Honeyblood. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. So just a few nights back, you got to play at Babies Are Right here in Brooklyn, and from my understanding, at least from what I know of your uh, band, it's a very different type of live setup for you, this go around. Uh, how did you find the show? Yeah, it was good. It was the very first gig we've ever played as the new band. So, um, I mean, it was uh, there were some nerves, but... Um, Overall, I, th- I thought we did pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Well, you kind of, I mean, I've been fortunate to be around bands and see what those like pre-show jitters could be like. Did you kind of feel any of that leading up to the show at all? You know, I never ever get nervous usually, but this, I mean, this time is, that's why it's so, was such a big deal for me because I, I don't usually get nervous. Um, but, you know, it's, there's a lot of change happening for me. So, um, so I have something to be a little bit nervous about. No, no, that's very fair to say. We'll definitely get into that. Um, I really want to ask you about the new songs that you put out first. Sure. Um, starting with She's a Nightmare. I mean, that has a freshness to it, but it also does feel very you, like with the sound that you've established through your previous records yeah. and up until this point. I think it's interesting when acts can still be around but still find different ways to be creatively inspired. And I would just love to hear about how that one came together. Yeah, I mean, I really just don't want to ever do something that's um, the same as what I've done previously. Um, I guess because I'm working with new musicians now, um, obviously that makes it different, but also writing with different things in mind. So I'm not writing for it. I never wrote this album with a duo in mind. Um, I wrote it to be played as a full band. So there's that. Whereas my last record was very much written for two people to play it live um, and the one before that I wrote that in my bedroom with no thoughts of how it would ever be made into an album or what you know like so they've all been different mindsets as such um, but I guess it, I think John Congleton has a big influence on what the record sounds like as well so obviously ma- making a record with a producer that is um, definitely puts their stamp on things has made it as you said sound sound you know if it sounds fresh i think that maybe that that has something to do with his input as well yeah you know i like moments like this where someone is listening to this now and they can't uh picture the faces that you're making but just now when you were uh reflecting on the first album you made you kind of had an interesting look about you just kind (laughs) of like looking back like when that thought comes into your head about how you made the first record essentially like in your room and like yeah. thought the concept of like people hearing it 
Like, what does that make you feel like when that comes into your head? I feel like I was probably very naive. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have a lot of kind of um, nostalgia for that time, I guess. Um, because I didn't know what was going to happen. But I kind of guess I, I wrote like, when the first records, when I think about how I wrote that, I wrote half of it. I had half of it before I got signed, but because Honeyblood as a band got signed um, on the third show, so I didn't. I only had five songs. I'd only written five songs ever. That's so so <laughs> it's like kind of um, well, I'd I'd been in bands previously, but for this band, I'd only written five songs and then and then got signed by Fat Cat. So um, then I had to write the rest of it. Um, that's like such a wild but, thing to even wrap your head around. Though. Yeah, but I didn't know how to, you know, I'd never recorded an album before. I'd never been on tour before. I'd never done all these things. So I didn't know what it was to be a band, a proper band, I guess. Yeah. A real a real band. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess that, that kind of like that little like, naivety. Yeah. I think it comes through on that record. If I find that it's now looking back on myself previously, it's a bit endearing, I yeah. guess. <laughs> well, this is something that led me to be quite excited when I knew I was going to talk to you. Um, I can't think of many acts I've had the chance to talk to where I could distinctly remember when and where I was when the first record came out and seeing the career, like the trajectory of it up until now. And there have been a lot of changes. Um, yeah, oh God, yeah. Like <laughs> But going into like the new songs, like I think something that I've found myself latching onto them a lot is there's this feeling that they have where it very much feels like they were, like I could almost feel the experience you had within the studio of making something out of nothing, within the process of like actually, it sounds like magical talking this way, but it's like making something. And I know it sounds like a very silly and almost like pragmatic way to ask it, but like when you're in the studio making these songs, did you feel that innate kind of aspect of it, the fact you're actually making something, the craft of it? Oh yeah, totally. Um, I think probably for me, um, I really treasure the time that I'm in the studio recording because it's the smallest amount of time. Like I tour a lot, yeah. um, so I do that. I do have a lot of time, you know, doing that. And I write. I spend a lot of time writing. So for this record, I wrote for a whole year before I chose the songs to go on it. But the actual recording process only took nine days. So when you think about you put, you know, you you're you're the, the whole campaign of what we're doing for the band is, is centered around this artistic project that took nine days to complete. So that is quite baffling. Yeah. So I really treasure the time that I'm in the studio because it is such a small pocket of my life, but it's the most important part, I guess. <laughs> that blows me with nine days. I mean, like, especially with like a rock oriented record, that makes a lot of sense to me, but it makes me wonder like, how much did you have in mind of what you wanted the record to be prior to even going in? Or did you find it changing a lot within those nine days? I demo quite extensively before I go into the studio, so I'll make sure that I have quite a set idea of what the songs are going to be like. Like, I go in... The only thing that changes usually, like, is maybe a little bit of structure, but, like, very small amount. And then, um... This music's just... I know, it's right? very quiet now. Um, <laughs> and then maybe lyrically, I'll like change stuff. I'm so bad for like writing all my lyrics down, and then when I sing them, I sing them wrong. But then, 
I'll be like, oh, that performance was so good that I'll then change the lyrics to whatever the wrong words were, yeah. you know? So that does happen. That's one of the magics about demos. Like, I'm one of those music fans where, like, I'm a big lover of demos, especially, like, back in the day when um, a lot of acts, I'm sure you definitely remember this as well, where they'd release a single, and then they'd sometimes, like, have the demo version as track Yeah, I love that. that. I love that. I'm try I was trying to see if I may do something like that, but I think... Um, <laughs> I, think, I think my demos are maybe a bit too rough around the edges. <laughs> um, I really want to ask about Glimmer. That's the favorite song of mine out of the ones you've released so oh, far. Thank I you. fucking love that too. And uh, I feel like what I especially love about it is that every time I listen to it, it feels like I'm listening to it the first time. Cool. Like, that's, that's a total compliment. Yeah, that's how it feels like. And um, yeah, just. This is another one where I think of, like, going back to what I was saying about the aspect of craftsmanship. So it very much comes with, in regards to this song. And I feel like the word I would almost use is, like, awakening. It's like, as the song is going along, your vocal and, like, the way the guitars are clashing, I feel like it's just awakening and blossoming throughout the song. Uh, did making this song feel particularly different than anything you've done before? I think this one kind of reminds me of, like, uh, this is, like, sort of solid honey blood, this one. So a lot of the songs on the new record, like it's me pushing the boat out, doing something a bit different, like sonically, and like trying to like expand my creativity. Yeah. But I feel like this, the glimmer is like, it's, it is like a punk song. Yeah. My version of one. And it, you know, it kind of like ties in with this, the narrative of like babes, in a way, because it's still got, you know, that that's what it's about. It's a positive message about. Um, female friendship, which is exactly what Babes was about, um, very much kind of like ties in with that. So I guess it's um, it's the most familiar one in a way, but um, it's super fun to play. I love playing that song. <laughs> yeah, I feel like what's always been at the crux of what you do, wh what you have done, it's very much prominent within these new songs, is that you've done this really cool thing where you're able to convey that you could be positive and have positive mes messages within your songs, but still sound aggressive. Which oh yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds it might sound obvious to some, but I feel like there's I don't know if I'd say there's a lack of that, but it's just kind of like whenever that comes about, it's something I feel like should be noted. It's like, oh, that's something that can exist. Yeah, I'm always like there's nothing wrong with being angry and having like that emotion. All emotions are like completely valid. I get like dissed for, you know, screaming I will hate you forever. I got totally dissed for that when Superat came out and I was like, well, there's nothing wrong with having that feeling, you know? But the, the, yeah, I feel like it's not, it's not a negative. It's, you know, it, it makes people feel good sometimes to just scream at the top of their lungs. <laughs> it really does, like. So um, I think it's always positive. I think, um, yeah, I got that Glimmer is one of those ones where um, it's very much, I think being one-sided can be sometimes detrimental. So when I write songs, especially when I write them about people I know or about characters that I've kind of half created that probably are based on people I know, um, it's always like I try and do a rounded version. So it's not always like super positive, or super negative. It's like they're both together. Yeah. So like that's you allow for like an element of nuance. Like real life, yeah. <laughs> you know. I know this might be like kind of a silly thing to ask, but it kind of like sometimes when I listen to your music, I'm almost reminded about like speaking in regards to what we're talking about of that sense of emotion. I'm almost reminded of like when I was a kid and like I was born here, grew up in the UK, and then came here properly when I was like around 11. And I remember something that was very overt to me at that young age is just how much 
how emotional Americans are, at least openly. And I wonder for you, oh. have you ever noticed that within touring, or at least like with your continued trips about? <laughs> uh, yeah, because Scottish people can't talk about their emotions at all. But probably a bit, <laughs> probably a bit better than than um, maybe the rest of the UK, because we love to complain. I've seen that. So um, you know, Scottish people just complain all the time, and we have no problem of being negative toward each other and dissing each other. What we have a problem about is showing love to each other. I yeah. feel like Scottish people will diss each other, but actually it's because they love each other. Yeah, Does I feel like I've sense? seen that quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I've been fortunate to get to know some of the Fright and Rabbit guys. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. The Weird Promise Jetpacks guys and Biffy Cairo and their production team and like, I always like to say there's this innate uh, honesty and lovely level of disrespect. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like being here in America, it's like, like when I brought up that element about how emotional Americans could be, like you could be somewhere like a coffee shop or even like a supermarket and you could see someone having a bad day and just like letting it out into the world. And I always feel like as a musician, that must be a very interesting type of energy to just witness. Yeah. Um. Do you mean like to, to the songs that we write, like yeah. to see people? Yeah, I mean, people come and tell me these things. Like, um, I get a lot like, your album really helped me through a breakup. You know, I get that yeah. um, all the time. And I'm like, I feel like I'm doing a service, doing people a service and like that. That's, that's what it's there for. Breakups are rough as hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I've been there, so. Yeah, if you wanna if you wanna use my album for that reason, then go ahead. That's ideal, ideal listening material for that. I love hearing that. Um, and now we arrive at the first track you released this year, which is the third degree. Uh, would I be right in thinking this is one of those songs that kind of revealed itself rather quickly to you? Yeah, it was written pretty quickly. Um, I mean, it's about a real situation. I wrote that song for my best friend. It's not actually about me. Um, but my best friend had like a really rough relationship. Guy was kind of like, well, the usual guys that I'll write songs about. But um, <laughs> he uh, he was very controlling, and um, I didn't like him at all. So uh, when they broke up, I was really happy. And then um, she finally had breaking free of this controlling dude, and uh, we went down to this bar for a drink. And she's like, oh, I actually can't go in here. He drinks here all the time. He loves to drink. Um, and I was, I turned around to her and I was like, no, we have to go in. You can't live your life just like that. You need you need to just go in. Yeah. And um, and she got the courage and then we went in and he was in there. Oh, <laughs> so I was like, oh no, we've made a terrible mistake. Um, I thought he wasn't going to be there. I thought she would maybe get some confidence for it. Um, and, uh, and actually what happened on the day was that she turned around and walked out. And... Um, I wrote third degree as a kind of like alternative reality. Like, what if you actually had the confidence to just walk right past him yeah. and for him to, you know, and just like that was what I wrote the song about the alternative reality. Yeah. And yeah, she loves it. Well, it's <laughs> yeah, what's massive about that is like people can really not just listen to a song for a sense of enjoyment, but they can embody that as well. Like, that's what's great about messages like that. Uh, I really want to go into the fact that um, on May 24th you'll be releasing your third Honey album, album uh, titled In Plain Sight and it's clear to me that the experience of making this one was vastly different. We touched upon that a little bit at the beginning but what would you say was the biggest difference for you? 
I guess I made this record alone. So this is the first Honey Blood solo record. Um, but I wrote it kind of like alone as well. So it's not like a massive change straight away. It was very much a transition over a long period of time. Um, and just like taking it to new, a new place. Like I feel the same way about Babes. I did feel the same feelings about it because essentially that was different from the first record. Um, but yeah, I try and make something different every time. I don't want to do the same thing every time. I get I get bored with that. I'm sure people listening to it get bored as well. You know, um, what's the point? You know, uh, so yeah, that would be the difference. It's all different. <laughs> Something I was really keen to ask you about. I only have a couple more questions for you, but thanks for taking the time. Oh, you're uh, welcome. Especially in the whirlwind of a fucking week you've had already. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Uh, something I'm keen to know about is like, me as a music fan, I'm always struck by that idea that when you're in the studio yourself as a musician, you're making this body of work, that you're learning about yourself throughout that journey. Just because by that innate thing of just like writing and then actually hearing it out loud. That made me wonder that with this, what do you think you learned about yourself with making in plain sight that you probably didn't know about previously? Um, oh, that's so tough. Um, what did I not know? I probably had, I had a bit of a freak out um, when I first went over to record when I was in LA because I really did start singing Guessing Myself. So I guess that I feel like I've learned that I'm probably tougher than I think I am. Yeah. Is that, is that safe to say? That's a class answer yeah. though. But then maybe I take that for granted now because I'm like, it's cool, I can do this, I'm tougher. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a limit obviously, but uh, yeah. I think um, when I finished it after nine days, I really didn't think we'd get it done in the 12 days. And then nine days run around and I kept on being like to John, I'll come back in the studio. I think I'll redo this. I think I'll redo the vocals. I'll redo the guitar. And he was like, "No, you won't. That's, that's it. It's completely finished. It's fine the way it is. You don't need. You don't need to think about it anymore. You've done your best." Um, and I kept on being quite nervous about it because I just didn't think that it was completed. Um, and then I got the mixes back, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's fine." Um, but that's amazing because just from like from my little uh, bit of music geek knowledge, I. I feel like that's almost like a little bit of a rare thing for a producer to say, or at least to say within such a matter of assurance of like, no, this is like as good as it could be. That sounds really special to me. He's very much like, um, when you record in the studio, you're capturing a moment, you know? So that's what the album is. It's not, it's never gonna be perfect. That's not the goal. That's not the end goal. It's not the end goal when you play live. It's not, you know, it doesn't exist. So trying to redo something over and over again sometimes loses the charm and the kind of feeling that the song would have yeah. you know playing it perfectly isn't always the best way to play it but I imagine that like when you're like you even said like when you're in the middle of making that you could almost forget that right yeah I do so many vocal takes it's like ridiculous Dude. but this for this record I did very very used to compact about um yeah, which I think is good. I'm, I'm glad that someone was there to tell me to stop. <laughs> uh, I mean, looking into like what you did with this album, the shows that you played this week and what's ahead, like, does it feel different doing it on your own? I mean, you have this band with you, but the focus is much more like on you. Yeah, it doesn't feel entirely different because I kind of like do feel like I'm 
Well, I am the only consistent member of the band. <laughs> Let's be honest. But um, it feels really good because I took a lot of um, time to choose this band. You know, I didn't just have chosen this band for a reason. So I feel really positive about it. And I feel like it's exciting. Um, and it kind of breathes new life into like our live show and um, and just like Honeyblood in general. So yeah, uh, before you run off here, can you actually go off on the people who are on your new band? Like, can you introduce yeah. them to the world? Um, yeah. So uh, Debbie um, is the drummer, and she actually recorded on the record, so she played the drums on the record um, and was in the studio the whole time with me. And um, it's uh, Anna Donegan from a band called Pins from Manchester who's playing bass. Oh yeah, they're amazing. And I have been good friends with Anna and toured with her for a very long time, so she just seemed to be like the perfect fit. Yeah. And the two, had, you know, the rhythm section had never met each other before, so I kind of tried to choose them personality-wise to like <laughs> meet two. It's cool that I get on both of them, but I want them to get on. Yeah, that's And they sure. seem to be getting on really well, so it's a real... It's a real um, good combo now. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I saw Pins like I want to say three years ago. They were opening up for the Subways, and like oh yeah, I had no idea who they were like part of that show, but I was like absolutely blown away. Like yeah, they're so good. Yeah, yeah. we've toured, we've been friends and toured together for about five, six years. So yeah, so I'm happy to have her. Yeah, I mean, I just need to point out right before you leave just how wild it is that we've been talking because you were here for the show on Monday, mm. and I think was it the, the following day you were in LA? Or was yeah. That, yeah, following day. Yeah. And then yesterday you had a bunch of stuff to do, and now you're here yeah. and we're talking. Uh, holy know. shit! How now do you feel? Fly home. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel this, like in this present moment, how do you feel? Goodness, I am. I'm good. I feel like. Um, I'll get some sleep on the plane and then I'm going to go down to the BBC Six session the next day, so... Oh, fuck it up. It's all non-stop, but, um, but it's all good stuff. If you want a good laugh, I remember like uh, two years back, we had the big moon on the show. Oh, and, yeah, I love them. Yeah, and I remember Soph, the guitarist, uh, they were here for a day doing press, like post-South By, and then they she had to fly out like within the day to go to a wedding the next day. Oh, goodness. And then they had a show the next town over within that night. And she said it to me, and like, oh, like we know each other, but so I looked at her, I was like, Soph, are you fucking mad? That's <laughs> And then she realized it within talking to me. She was like, yeah, that's not fucking crazy. <laughs> But honestly, Steve, thanks for chatting. Like, Thank looking you for forward to having me. you back in New York. Cheers. Watch out, she'll be richer if you play on.